Hey everybody, this is Brett. And I'm Christian. And you're listening to the Gilded Films Podcast. A year in review, 2013. and welcome to yet another episode of the Gilda Films podcast. This time around, it is the year in review, and we are going to be focusing on the year 2013. If you are still with us, you listened to our last one, in which we talked about the Best Picture nominees of 2013, the big winner there being 12 Years a Slave, although uh, Brett and Haley had some different opinions on what should have won. I guess I did too. Yeah, yeah, don't throw us under the bus here. (laughs) <laughs> okay, well, they had a different opinion than me, so I got ganged up on there. But, oh, whatever. <laughs> but uh, this is uh, this is going to be an interesting episode. We normally do uh, six. Yes. What are we at now? We're at five. We okay? We only picked five movies, and normally we have people pick them. But in this case, we were just naming off some movies that we really wanted to talk about because 2013 was so recent, and you know. Some of these movies are incredible. So, as always, it's me. Hello, I'm Christian. Hello, Brett. Hello, hello. And welcome back, Haley. Hello, Haley. I'm back. She is back. Uh, <laughs> anything, anything, you ready for this one? I am very ready. The movies we picked are great, so get excited. Yes. They are. And again, we literally, I think we picked three, and then from there I kept spouting out movies that I really wanted to talk about. So this could have gone on for a while, but we had to limit ourselves. So yeah. great picks all around, though. We got we, this is going to be a fun one. So, but yeah, um, moving on from the best picture nominees, some that we're going to talk about in some depth. And so Haley is actually going to take us away with our first film. So Haley, if you want to go into that one, yeah. So our first film is a pretty creepy movie. I picked this one out, which is rather funny because I actually don't like horror films very much. Um, But last year, Brett and I, okay. Last year, Brett and I kind of went on a horror film kick, I think primarily because I finally had someone to watch them with. Um, So thanks for that. That's why I keep you around. Um, (laughs) So the first film that we're talking about is The Conjuring, which is, in my opinion, one of the scariest films I have ever seen. It's directed by James Wan, and it did not receive any Oscar nominations, but, you know, it it should have. Um, the plot of this film is that these two paranormal investigators named Ed and Lorraine Warren are contacted to help this family that are being terrorized by things in their house. And they're not really entirely sure what these things are or what is happening to them. So Ed and Lorraine Warren go and help out the Perrin family. Um, Yeah, mom and dad, and then there are many children. Um, I can't imagine having that many children, by the way. That's terrifying. Yeah, what, four girls, four girls? Yeah. 
I think. Yeah. Four, I yeah. think there's four of them, yes. Um, but basically, this film is all things that go bump in the night wrapped into one. <laughs> and Ed and Lorraine Warren try to help this family out. And if you haven't seen it, I don't want to spoil the entire plot for you, but you should really, really see it because it is incredibly terrifying. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, Haley and I have been dating for almost two years and watched quite a few movies together. I think this is the one we've watched the most. I don't know why that is, but we've watched it probably three or four times together. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. It, it is scary. Like it is legitimately, I think my, in my opinion, the scariest movie I've ever seen Damn. just in that every time I watch it, it gets to me, it's paranormal. And I, I don't know the the scares are always consistent. Bathsheba, the witch is oh. just terrifying when she's on top of the cupboard and like jumps down the girl that gets me every single time. Like, the clap scene. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's basically, it, it's like almost iconic now, that, that whole clap sequence, just because it was in all the trailers and it got people going. And, you know, this film ended up being a pretty big commercial success. Obviously, it spawned its own quote-unquote film universe with more Conjuring movies and more other movies, like especially bad ones like La Llorona and... Annabelle, the Annabelle movies are kind of hit and miss. But for what it is, like for where it starts, this movie's great. I, I love it. This is like what you want from a haunted house movie. The scares are there, but most importantly, I actually give a damn about the characters here. Ed and Lorraine Warren, I really care about them. I care about the Perrin family who's being terrorized here. But it, it's really well made. James Wan, really, really good direction here as far as creating the scares and having jump scares here and there, but also being atmospheric at the same time. The mm. music. The, the music, oh. the score is like really, really effective. And this is one of those cases where like historical accuracy, as can be expected with a film like this, it's up in the air. And then Lorraine Warren, a lot of their stuff has been proven to be pretty fraudulent. Um, but this is a case where it, that doesn't that doesn't really affect the film for me too much. It is what it is. It's a horror movie and I love it. Yeah, I really like this one too. I think that I've grown to love it even more after seeing it a couple times because this may be my fourth time or so. Um, I remember seeing it in theaters with my dad and after that we were just like obsessed with watching scary movies after that because we were like, we're watching the Amityville Horror because obviously mm. that's their story too. Right. It pulls a lot from that. Where we watch The Exorcist and stuff. But no, this is a good movie. Like you guys said, very atmospheric. Um, it's set in the 70s. I'm just screaming the whole time, like why won't these white people just leave their house? <laughs> <laughs> like, I guess they're not going to because then we wouldn't have a movie. The movie would be over in 20 minutes. Right. But yeah. Just like an Eddie then, Murphy joke. <laughs> I love... This is weird. I love kids in horror movie. I love seeing them in peril because <laughs> that's when you get like all the shit going down at them because they're like the unsuspecting, you know, the unsuspecting victim of a ghost or a poltergeist or whatever. Right. So, but um, Vera Farmiga in this, I love her. 
Like, she's damn good in this. And then the whole exorcism scene, which again, no spoilers, but there's an exorcism scene. It is intense. It's terrifying. Yeah. Like, definitely watch this at night, because this is a night movie. Lights out, whatever. Yeah. I think you could even watch it during the day, and I would still almost shit my pants. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it is so scary. I think that this is like, it's a Warner Brothers movie, but it feels so low budget. Mm-hmm. They kind of want, they're like, okay, here's a movie. They didn't expect it to be, I mean, they probably wanted it to be successful, but I don't think they expected it to spawn a whole franchise. Yeah. From that little, oh my God, I hate Annabelle so much. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I can't deal with that doll. I know, like you said, the movies are hit and miss, but I can't with her. The Animal doll actually exists too, which is yeah. terrifying. I don't yeah. know how real what? all of it is, but there is an actual Annabelle, Annabelle doll. Yeah, and see, that's the thing with the historical accuracy. Like, there is a real Annabelle doll. Annabelle doll. It's a Raggedy Ann doll. Yeah, so it's, it's, not, it's yeah. not like a porcelain, creepy ass looking doll. It's like a, a doll that, you know, I saw growing up. You know, I saw Raggedy yeah. Ann dolls growing up. But still, it's still creepy that that. You have to take, I mean, you have to take some liberties with this. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like some people, where I've seen criticism of this is that near the end, like especially with the exorcism scene, that's when it gets a little more cinematic. Um, yeah. And like, I'm really like, I don't care. Like that, that's terrifying. Like the sound in that scene is just like, oh, it it gives me chills every time I watch it. So. Haley, do you want to go over our fun facts for this one? Yes, I would love to. Um, So like I said earlier, this movie actually did not receive any Oscar nominations, which, I mean, I don't know how many horror films I've seen receive Oscar noms, but this one should have. Um, The scenes for the film were shot in chronological order. The producers tried to get the film made for 14 years, interviewing the Warrens for details on the plot. Um, Very interesting if you look up some of those interviews, because there are some of the kids that absolutely refuse to speak about what happened in that house. And I don't know if it's because they don't want to be in the media or if they're so damn scared. I'm really hoping for the latter because it'd be cool if there was some truth to it. Lorraine Warren served as a consultant on the film. The owners of the house the film is based on actually sued Juan and Warner Brothers in 2015 since their film was being constant or their land was being constantly vandalized as a consequence of the popularity of the film. Um, The author of The Demonologist, Gerald Brittle, also sued, citing that he held a contract with the Warrens to make any works based on his book. Um, Kicked off the Conjuring universe of films, which again is so-so. The Conjuring is definitely the best one out of the entire Conjuring universe. By far. There's, I think it's Annabelle 2. I don't know what the actual name of it that I would also say is pretty good. Um, And the third one comes out next year. Yes, I hope the third one is amazing. And I like like the sequel to The Conjuring, just 
Yeah, I do too. Yeah, I like yes. the second one too. It's just not it's as not conjuring level. Yeah, yeah, it's not as good as the conjuring. I would yeah. say it's still good. Um, and then Annabelle recently may or may not have escaped, and as Christian would say, "Hide your kids, hide your wives." <laughs> um, there, I, there was news that, she, like, rumor has it, she escaped or she was went missing from wherever she was being held. Little Raggedy Ann doll. So. <laughs> I actually had not heard of that. That's amazing. That's yeah. terrifying. That's not amazing. I'm not going to sleep tonight. God dang it. It's like 2020, like 2020, what more is going to happen? Uh, Annabelle may, may not have escaped. <laughs> I have to say one other fact about this movie. It is not a fun fact. Um, but if you are a dog lover, mm. prepare yourselves Poor Sadie. Like like a lot she of She didn't films. deserve what she got. Yeah. She warned them. <laughs> she said, y'all people crazy. You need to get out. <laughs> Sadie, so Sadie was the one smart one. She would not go in the house. Like, oh, she refused. Always listen to the dog. That's like... Always. That's, that's rule number one. Always, always listen to the dog. Um, I do want to mention real quick, like, while we're talking about, like... Um, the kids being like too afraid to talk about it potentially. The opening crawl of this movie where it says like, this is Ed and Lorraine Warren. There is one case that was so terrifying. They haven't revealed until now. And then it opens up to the conjuring and the music. Literally one of the most effective opening crawls, opening scenes I think I've ever seen that the score and everything just works perfectly there. Better than star Wars. In my opinion. We just lost the Star Wars. Fan. I know we just lost our biggest audience. <laughs> we haven't even discussed Star Wars yet. <laughs> Star Wars is amazing, but I think the crawl to the Conjuring is, in my opinion, that's more effective than the crawl to Star Wars. That's a hot take. All it, right. it is well, a hot take. We're, we're starting I, off. I stand by it. We're starting off big here. Come right. at me. But not Annabelle. Annabelle, please don't come at me. The dead speak. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Well, yes, that is The Conjuring. Definitely, you know, definitely one of the bigger horror films to come out the last decade. Um, Worth checking out if you haven't seen it. Any final thoughts on that before we move on to another really big movie from the decade? Don't watch it alone. (laughs) All right. Christian, why don't you take us away with our next one? (sighs) Okay. In 2013, Disney was all like, you know what? We got Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is ours. Let's put out our little animated feature. Probably make a good chunk of change. 100 million bucks at most. Pawn it off for some Oscars. Leave it at that. Maybe put some people in the theme park. Wrong. Whilst their movie Frozen was released Thanksgiving of 2013, nobody could see this blizzard coming. Frozen dominated the latter half of 2013. And that is the movie we're talking about, Frozen, okay? The animated film that everybody loves, that every little person, every little child, every adult knows all the songs, Let It Go, uh, In Summer, the first time in forever, do you want to build a snowman? Do I even need to give a plot here? Okay. 
we have Anna, we have Elsa. They're sisters. They have internal conflict. One of them is a, like she can form snow and ice out of her hands. They got to save their kingdom. So the reason I picked this is obvious. It was a mega success. Okay. I didn't even see that coming at all. No, we have this, no, we have this whole new revival of Disney in the 2010s, starting really a bit with The Princess and the Frog in 2009. And yeah. then once the decade starts, you get Tangled, which made, I think, 200 million or so. Yeah. What do you have in 2011? 2011, you had Winnie the Pooh. 2012, you have Wreck-It Ralph. And then this comes along. And again, like I said, it, the merchandising, I hope the cast signed up for the merchandising rights because, oh. my God. Um, spun off to a sequel to little short films, a Broadway musical, which has since closed, a theme park ride at Disney, numerous characters, attractions. It's a good movie. There was a time where I was like, you know what? This is a little bit overhyped, whatever. But as you watch it, it's still good. Yes. I mean, I think the songs slapped. The songs in the sequel are a little bit more mature, a little bit better. But yeah, this is Frozen. I like it. The world liked it. Listen, 2013 was the year frozen. All right. We didn't see that coming at all. Nobody did. No. If I was going to predict, like if I could go back in time, I would predict that the Rapunzel movie, you know, Rapunzel's pretty well known, that would probably be the big box office hit over The Ice Princess, which is like, I don't think it's as well known of a fairy tale as like something like Rapunzel or I don't know, The Little Mermaid or something. Um. I don't know. I would think on average, you know, but um, it was, I mean, when, when we were going and picking through movies and trying to figure out, you know, what all we were going to talk about, Christian, you text me and you're like, well, Frozen was a phenomenon. And it's like, yeah, we got to talk about Frozen. Like it's one of the biggest films of the decade. And yeah, I, you know, when I first saw it in theaters, I was along the lines of, its whole success being unexpected. I liked it more than I expected to as well. Um, really interesting characters, especially Elsa, and you know the kind of conflict that she goes through as a character. Um, the songs, like you said, are, are great. You know, as much as we heard Let It Go on the radio <laughs> like two years after this came out, it's still a great song. Really well written, really well performed by Adina Menzel. Um, and all the songs, I, I really like all the songs. Um, yeah, and I think it still holds up. I think most of the time I hear criticisms of this movie, it is because of that it was so overhyped that people just got tired of it. And I've been there too. Like, I hear this song everywhere I go. This is the movie that every everybody talks about because their kids are watching it. Like, I'm tired of it. But remove yourself from it a little bit, come back to it years later, it still really holds up. You know, this mm -hmm. is one that you could watch every year around winter time and I think enjoy it and find, you know, a good time with it. And so not to say it's like the best Disney animated film, it's far from it, but as far as what's coming out in recent years, it's definitely up there. I never got tired of it, just, <laughs> just for the record. Christian and Brett might have, but I never got tired of it. I love this film so much. Um, I think my favorite scene is when Elsa is like building her ice castle. Yeah. I'm just like, I would want to live there. 
that's freaking awesome. And that, um, we'll say, I didn't put this in the fun facts, but it's because of that scene that they made this a 3D imagery instead of like a hand-drawn 2D because of the complexities of all that. Makes sense. Ah, that's yeah. cool. And it's really well animated too, so. Yes. Um, I, yeah, I love this movie. I think the music in it is phenomenal. I think Elsa's scene where she's building the castle is my favorite scene. Um, as far as characters go, Anna and her little love interest are freaking hilarious throughout the entire film. Kristoff? Yeah, well, no, not even Kristoff, oh. but the other one too. Oh, like yeah. evil Hans. The e Hans. Yes, yeah. Hans. Who is Hans? We do not like Prince Hans. We do not stand him. Um, but he yeah, I mean it's just so funny watching this girl who's been cooped up her entire life and then the first boy she's meets she's like oh my god i'm in love i'm gonna get married and it's like okay this is probably what every little freshman going off to college who's never been allowed to date feels like um but i yeah no it's just i i think the movie's hilarious i think it's sweet i think there's a lot of underlying themes you can pick on up through it about accepting yourself and who you are yeah. and what you can give to this world. I'm getting deep about Frozen. I like that. Um, so now I'm done because I'm getting deep about Frozen. I think I may have taken it too far. But it's a great film. Y'all should watch it. And then, of course, you have the classic sidekick character of Olaf, who <laughs> in and of himself became like that juggernaut of product placement. I, I guarantee every town somebody has a blow up Olaf in their front yard during Christmas time. Oh, one hundred percent. Oh, I have a I have an Olaf plushie somewhere upstairs. There you go. Yeah. yeah. I gotta say, favorite character though has gotta be Sven. I oh, mean like I love Sven. Kristoff, he's singing about reindeer are better than people, and I, I can't disagree. I mean Sven is awesome. Excuse no? you. Yeah. Reindeer. They're awesome. No. But yeah, I, I do want to say, I think there is some contention about this winning Best Animated Feature Film and being a Disney film and being the big box office hit. I will say personally, I haven't seen every film in that category, but I would vote for it. Um, I think The Wind Rises from um, Miyazaki is a, a really good film, but this one just hits a little more for me personally. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I don't know. People are always angry whenever Disney or Pixar wins that award, too. True. But, I mean, it was bound to happen because that sort of is, it feels more popularity, that one. Yes. But, I mean, a lot of the winners have been pretty decent, pretty, like, incredible. That's one of the more consistent categories, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Christian, do you want to run over our fun facts on this one? Yes, so this won two Oscars, Best Animated Feature and Best Song for Let It Go, I, iconically sung by Adele Dazeem, <laughs> the Oscars, and yeah, that's an interesting story. Um, so some box office statistics here. It was the number one film of 2013 worldwide with $1.28 billion. Billion. It is the number one animated film of all time. However, if you are some sort of heathen and you consider the 2019 
Lion King remake animated, quote unquote. It is not, I guess. It's animated. It's animated. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't want to consider it animated because I don't want it to beat the Frozen thing. That's True. just so interesting. Fair. Um, it is the 16th highest grossing film of all time. The highest earning film with a female director until Wonder Woman came along. On the first day of release on Blu-ray DVD, it sold 3.2 million units, becoming one of the biggest home video sellers in the last decade. I was visiting family at that time, and my aunt who worked at Target said that they had to go to a little store called Hastings, RIP, to buy copies to then sell at Target. What? Yes. That's wild. I wonder how annoyed parents are going to get with this film and their kids this year during COVID-19 when they all get sent home. (laughs) Hey, you can have back-to-back marathon. That's true. Just just thinking of those 3.2 million units. Uh, its, it's first broadcast debut was December 11th, 2016, and it brought in 6.6 million viewers to AMC, ABC, uh, which is a lot these days. 6.6 yeah. million? Yeah. Um, won numerous Best Animated Film Awards, as well as two Grammys, an adaptation of The Snow Queen by Hans Christian Andersen, originally considered way back in 1942, but was shelled like many Disney films. Uh, this happened again in the 90s, and then it was revitalized after the success of Tangled. A lot of movies were like that. Like, he wanted to make The Little Mermaid way in the 40s, but someday Christian can tell you all about that. Uh, accompanied in theaters by the Oscar-nominated Mickey Mouse short, Get a Horse, which is an incredible short yes. film. It's amazing. Some consider Elsa a queer character, with Let It Go serving as a parallel for coming out. Hmm. Heck Yeah. A lot of people really wanted her to have like a girlfriend in the second movie, but as I'm watching it, I'm like, there's no time for that. Yeah. <laughs> so make a third one. And Let It Go, which again, like every little factor in this movie became a massive success on its own. Yep. It won the Grammy for best song written for the visual media. Uh, first Disney song since Colors of the Wind to reach the top 10 of the Billboard Top 100. Uh, made Adina Menzel the first Tony winner for acting Oh, to reach the top 10. And it was the ninth best-selling song of 2014 in the U.S. and the fifth best worldwide. I'm surprised it's not higher, honestly. Like, yeah. But still, that's, that, that's still unbelievable success for a, a, a song original for a movie. So yeah. It's probably not higher because five-year-olds don't have Spotify yet. Fair. Maybe. Good. I mean, there's Fair. some of them that have iPhones, yeah. but... Mama, what's a fools and fractal? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Frozen, like Christian said, phenomenon. You know, big deal. Um, and, and a good film to go along with it. So. I just think it lasted the whole year because if it came out in November, the Halloween costumes didn't even happen until the next October. True. Yep. Ugh. And it's still a big thing. You know, I remember Christian, when we went to see the Irishman in Kansas City last year, Frozen 2 was coming out, and there were like Elsa and Anna lookalikes there. Oh, uh, I remember that. Pictures with people. And you know, it's, it's still a big deal. And this is, this is, I said in the last podcast we did that I saw this in the Wolf of Wall Street on the same day. <laughs> and, that was in, and that was in the first couple days of January. Again, this came out Thanksgiving. 
which one of those two movies was still packed. Definitely Frozen. Yeah. Definitely Frozen. Wow. Yeah. That is Frozen. Um, I, you've probably seen it by now, but if not, I promise it is worth checking out, um, despite all the hype. All right. Are we ready for our next movie? Yes. Take it away. Perfect. So the next one is one that it's another one that not any of us specifically picked um, on our own, but one that, you know, Chris and I were talking and decided like with everything going on, this is one that we have to watch. Um, it's one that we have to watch. We have to discuss a little bit. And it is Ryan Coogler's directorial debut Fruitvale station. Um, so this is a story of Oscar Grant. Um, this is going to seem like a spoiler, but I promise it's, it's really not. Um, it, it, it's a story of Oscar Grant on the last day of his life. Um, this was a man who, it's, it's a true story, is a man who lived in, um, is it San Francisco? Mm -hmm. It's Oakland. Oakland, Oakland. Yeah. Man who lived in Oakland um, and, you know, was, um, well, he was killed by police on New Year's Day 2009 at Fruitvale Station, a um, public transport station there in the area. And so this story is, you know, it's not just a story of that event. Like I said, it covers the last full day of his life and where his life was heading before he was murdered by police. Um, it kind of goes over, you know, I, I've seen this film criticized for being like overly emotional, but I think it's I think it's a great character study. It, it presents him as a person who does have flaws. It's not that it's presenting him as this perfect human being, but someone who is really striving to make his life better, make life better for his daughter, for his girlfriend or his wife. I, I don't know if it mentions if they're married or not. I think he's just his girl. Well, yeah, I think it's his girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, he, you know, he is, he is a drug dealer and he's been to prison for it before, but on this day he decides he's going to give that up and try to pursue something else. I mean, the first thing we learn about the guy is that he, um, cheated on his girlfriend. And so it's kind of this exploration of this person who does have flaws and is not perfect, but is striving to do what's best going forward. And through this process, he becomes this just extremely lovable and complex character played extremely well by Michael B. Jordan in one of his big, you know, kind of, I would say one of his breakout roles, all leading up to this moment that we know is coming in which his life is going to be ended by police. I say we know it's coming because the film begins with camera phone footage of the shooting. And so the, the film isn't trying to, you know, I don't think it's going in trying to provide a bunch of like shock value or anything like that. It tells us straightforward what we are going to witness, but it definitely does not do anything to lessen the impact of when that moment comes. I've really always had a really, you know, soft spot for this film because it was the first movie that I saw at an independent like art house theater. And so it's always resonated because of that. But, you know, we decided to watch this because when we were picking these films, you know, it was shortly after George Floyd was murdered. And obviously this is something that is definitely on the forefront of a lot of people's minds. 
I want to say that, you know, the three of us reviewing this are not black. And so we, we don't have that perspective, but this is an important film that needs to be watched. Um, I think, you know, it was, it, it's something that I think it didn't get much awards recognition. It wasn't a huge box office hit, but I think it's one that in years to come, it's going to be very heavily remembered and referenced for many, many years as being, you know, this kind of very honest take on this issue. And so your thoughts. I loved this film. I thought it was heartbreaking. Um, and I think a lot of that, right, is because even though I sit here and read about things that are happening to black folks in our country and see it in the news and whatnot, I obviously do not live that experience. I am a white person. Um, and I don't have that experience. I don't have that perspective of personally having to ever endure that and actually watching it happen and watching this man who quite honestly has just been dealt shitty circumstances because of the country that he lives in and is trying to find a way to make everything work, be brutally murdered by white policemen, I think is really a testament to what is happening in our country and, you know, why the protests are happening, why people are speaking out, why it's so important. And I, you know, my honest take is that I think every non-black person should have to sit and watch this film. I think you should have to sit and watch this film and really reckon with what is happening in our country and how black folks are profiled by the police. It's, yeah. it, I mean, it's, it should have won Oscars. It should have. It's a phenomenal film. It's heartbreaking, but it is a phenomenal film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, this is great. It's a great film. And it's really weird to think that I had never heard of um, this incident even before seeing this. And to see that it, uh, this is 2013 and it happened in 2009. Yep. that Oscar is killed. And when I saw this in theaters, it was me and my dad. And my dad cried at the end of it, which I've never seen him cry. I've seen him cry when, like, my grandmother passed away. Mm -hmm. But after that, and, of course, when my dog passed away. But, like, this was, that was, like, whoa. And we were also not the only two in the theater, which I was very surprised about because it's a very small theater. There were two other people there, and they were like, an older white couple. Which then I was like, why are you all here? But, hey, that's good. Maybe they're open-minded. They can learn something. Maybe now in 2020, after George Floyd and all the protests of Black Lives Matter and all this other incidents that happen, my God, every year since 2013, and they're like, you know, remember seeing that movie? It's happened again and again. But no. Um, so, yeah, I just, I really love this film, too. I own it. I remember day one it came out, I was like, I need to go buy this because I had a Best Buy gift card. But no, it's good and I love Michael B. Jordan in this. And it's weird because I know him from a show called Parenthood that he was on for a couple seasons. 
And then he got this, and then he got like super famous and got Creed and Black Panther and other films. We don't talk about Fantastic Four, though. Oh, yeah. No, we forgot about that one. Yeah. But no, this is, yeah, it's great. And Ryan Coogler is pretty good. And bless Octavia Spencer for being, not only being in this, yes. but helping this, which Brett will read a fun fact, will helping this movie even get out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this was what, two years? Yeah, two years after she had won an Oscar. And so, I mean, this is, this is an independent movie. You know, mm-hmm. this is not a, a mainstream, big budget film. You got debut director and Ryan Coogler and, by the way, Coogler and Michael B. Jordan, neither one, still have been not been nominated for any Oscars for their acting or directing. So that's a problem because um, they're both brilliant in everything they do for the most part. Um, but yeah, and, and there's just, there just, there aren't many films that I've seen at least that just, that tackle it as brutally honestly this one does i mean you think about do the right thing and what it did when you know that came out around the same time as the rodney king incident um and had a, a you know a pretty similar impact when you watch that scene in that movie um it's something that you know i think it, it stands out for that reason um another thing that i really like about this is this is less than like 90 minutes yeah it gets straight to his last day on earth and then what happens yeah and it's like and it starts with what happens first like we're not gonna we're not gonna build up the suspense let's show you what happened right. and then let's play out everything else yeah yeah and i just think the idea to show just to show us his last day is such a really great choice just because it's like we're giving you this day to know who this person was and we're going to show you that that's all you need Mm-hmm. and um it works really well well it humanizes him yeah that whole that whole scene on the train like building up to him being shot oh. it's so weird because it's like this is 2009 it's at the start really of phones having cameras on them because most of those people are using like a flip phone or very early blackberry mm-hmm. and then he gets shot and the first thing that the police officer says is everybody back in there, this train needs to be moving. Yes. Like, excuse me, yes. this is now a crime scene. You have over a hundred or plus witnesses to this. And they don't sir. take any witness information. No. no, this is a crime scene. But of course, read up on what happens next because there, there actually was like a court case. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very complex on what happens, but yeah. Yeah. I still, that scene pissed me off because immediately he was like, let this train move. No, you stop because you have like witnesses. Yeah. Yep. I think the other thing that really I just love about this film is, you know, it's not a freaking green book. You as a non-black person are not going to sit here and feel good watching this movie. Like it, and you don't get to feel good watching this movie, right? Like you shouldn't feel good. You should have to really bear witness to what happens every single freaking day pretty much in this country and deal with that and reckon with it and do something about it so myself included i i just i really appreciate that it's not a green book yeah and i also want to like discuss like the 
this what happens afterwards and also like right before he is killed because it does a really great job of showing that racial racial profiling because mm-hmm. something i'd forgotten from when i first saw it seven years ago is that oscar like at first gets away you know like him and his friends split up and then he gets back on the train the only reason he gets pulled black back off is because he's a black man in the midst of a bunch of white people like they pull him off specifically because he is a black man um not really knowing if he was involved with the fight that happens on the train earlier and so the way it just those those details are just pretty splendid um but yeah like we said no oscar noms for this one um octavia spencer like chris said offered to forego her salary when funding fell through and coogler had to stay within the budget spencer also found an investor in Catherine stockett who is the author of the help the film spencer was most well known for at the time um it screened with the title Fruitvale at Sundance Film Festival, where it won the Grand Jury Prize and the Audience Award for the U.S. Dramatic Film. So that's voted on by you know both the jury, the film folks there, and the audience that sees all of them. Won Best First Film at the Cannes Film Festival in France. Um, Ryan Coogler wanted to make the film since Grant's murder happened while he was a grad student, while Coogler was a grad student at USC. Forrest Whitaker's production company took on the project, wanting to mentor new young filmmakers. Something I didn't know, found really cool. Um, The film select opening took place around the same time as the verdict was delivered in the George Zimmerman trial, which was obviously a big deal of injustice. Um, It won Best First Feature at the Independent Spirit Awards, and it also won Breakthrough Director and Breakthrough Actor for Coogler and Jordan at the Gotham Awards that year. So... It got love from the smaller award shows. The Oscars didn't bite. Wonder why. Wonder why. <laughs> Old white people. <laughs> but yeah. Any other thoughts on that one on Fruitville Station before we move on to our next movie? Uh, if it's on Netflix, because it sometimes is, watch it. Yes. Yeah, that's where we watched it, wasn't it? Yeah. I think watch so. Netflix. Yeah. Don't watch Green Book. Don't watch Green no, Book. Do no, do not watch Green Book. We'll never understand how a line of you people love the fried chicken wins a best screenplay <sighs> award. Or a white man is teaching the black man to eat fried chicken. Yeah. Oh. All right. We got a couple more films. Next one is the one that I picked first off um, because, you know, last episode we talked about my favorite film of all time, which was Casablanca this might be number two. It's definitely top five, top three. Um, If you listen to our best of the 2010s episode, it was my number one there. It is the Coen brothers inside Lewin Davis. Yeah. Yeah, Bold take. I think this is the best Coen brothers movie. I love Fargo and no country for old men, but this is, this is like my, my go-to Christians give me a look, but you know what? One day we're all going to recognize it. Christian always gives you a look. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, this is the Coen Brothers effort from that year. It is the story of the title character, Lewin Davis, who is a struggling folk singer in the New York Greenwich Village folk scene in 1961. Um, and so, you know, this was kind of a big deal at the time. It, this was right before Bob Dylan came on the scene. So it's not really focusing on any huge artists at the time. 
Um, yeah, Lewin Davis, he is homeless. He is staying on friends' couches every night while he tries to get gigs and tries to make it big as a folk singer. Um, we know that he had a partner at one point. Um, they are no longer together. Eventually we find out why. Um, his partner, I, it's, I'll, I'll let y'all watch it. I'll let y'all watch it. Um, yeah, it, it's basically just following a few days in the life of this guy who is, I will say, you know, this film works really well because on one hand, I feel for Lewin and all this crappy stuff that keeps happening to him. On the other hand, he's an asshole. And a lot <laughs> of what's happening is his own doing. And so I, I think that that's why it works so well for me is that he is such a com complex character um, that you can't figure out from just, you know, one scene alone. You kind of get to know him a little bit more as the film goes along. There are a lot of themes you can pick out from this. You've got a lot of really good supporting performances. You've got Carrie Mulligan here. John, Give John Goodman really should have been considered for supporting actor here. I mean, he's only in this for like 10 minutes, but he's incredible. Um, you know, Justin Timberlake makes, a, makes an appearance. F. Murray Abraham is in it for five minutes and he's really good. Yeah, but a lot of really good actors all around it's adam not that what's that <clears throat> adam driver a adam driver adam driver again there for like five minutes but he makes an impact i can't believe you forgot adam driver there's you a like, lot of there's a lot of good folks marriage in here. stories so much yeah my, yeah true my husband <laughs> christian's husband um but yeah I, I think overall this is a film that has a lot of sad things going on but for me it never feels overly depressing i can't explain why all i can say is that it's the cohen's it's what they do i don't know how they do it but it's kind of similar to what they did with fargo in a way where it is comedic this does have funny lines here and there but we're still dealing with heavy content and so yeah um dark comedy let's put it that way so I'm, I have more thoughts, but I could go on with this film forever. So I'm going to pass it on to you too, while I cringe at any criticisms you have of this movie. Well, I'm going to let Christian go first then. <laughs> so. <laughs> oh, I think I'm just going to burp. <laughs> Excuse me, but Fargo is funny. This is like, this is bleak. Yeah, but I mean, even in Fargo, she's got that line where she's like, killing people and all for a little bit of money. And so there's heavy cool. themes there. Yeah. Um, when I, okay, so I first watched this. I love saying my stories of when I first watched this. It was on a portable DVD player on a road trip, and I didn't understand it, and I could barely see it because the sun was blurring down on me. <laughs> so I'm like, this thing is overrated. Second time I watched it, again, meh. This time I watched it, I really liked it. I really loved it. So kudos to you, Brett. Yes. I even got my mom to watch it. Okay, it was 4th of July this year and I was like, this movie's American, I guess. So you're cooking, you don't really have a choice in what we watch. And she ended up liking it. I don't think she understood what was happening half of the time, but eventually she did. I was like, he's a folk singer and he's sad, I guess. And there's a cat involved. <laughs> Aren't all folk singers sad with cats? Yes. I, yes. Yeah. 
but I liked it. I really like Oscar Isaac. I this is his like big, really his introduction, I guess, to everybody. Yeah. Um, but no, seeing him in this, I'm like, you know what? Yeah, he's like super good in this. He is a bit of an asshole, but oh, one hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's very bleak, which I actually didn't mind a whole lot. I kind of understood that because he's. It's definitely his that generation, like the beatnik generation, mm-hmm. especially like uh, where it's set to, like Greenwich, Greenwich Village, New York, where all the beatniks went, all the folk singers, Bob Dylan, he's starting to rise, but yeah, no, it's a good film. It's very Americana. Yes. Yes. Very Americana. Yeah. And I, it's, I like that the Coen brothers directed it too, because you can put this next to like No Country for Old Men and Fargo. Those are three distinct tastes of American life at a certain period in time. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's no murder in this, but. <laughs> that we know of. Oh, the cat almost. <laughs> the, the, cat. Cat. <laughs> the cat. The cat almost took a beating, but I mean, yeah. it did it, it take did a beating. beating. Not that somebody beats the cat. No, no like, nobody no, beats the cat. It, it's an accident. A car, a car beats the cat. <laughs> the cat survives unlike the dog and the conjuring but yes. um oh. you know it's fine um no i loved this film i think for me as someone who i obviously have not had to live like a hard life i don't think i um you know am one white two living in a really nice apartment in the Denver area right now, even though I don't have a job. I'm fortunate enough to have some help from several family members who are, you know, willing enough to help me out with things like that. And then, of course, there's Brett. In the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. I mean, it is in the middle of a pandemic. I don't have a job during the middle of a pandemic. So there's that. But I think I like this film so much because it doesn't sugarcoat how shitty life can be, but it also is just so funny to me. Like, and I don't know why, but there's so many lines that I just couldn't stop laughing. And I think it was because, you know, especially from personal experience and dealing with mental health and depression, sometimes you just really have to laugh at your life even when it's not that funny and i think lewin davis does a good job of that throughout the film and does a good job with his sarcastic humor and it's it just it works for me i think it's a really good take on how difficult life can really be for some folks and the fact that even when life is really shitty sometimes you just have to you know keep going you gotta laugh i think a big part of it is that like it's a good reflection on how close you can be sometimes and still miss it like there's a part in this there's a part in the movie where lewin davis decides not to take royalties on a part he plays because he doesn't think it's going to be a big hit it ends up being a big hit um there's a part where he decides not to take a part in a, a trio of singers for a number of reasons, but you know, that's a reference to Peter, Paul and Mary, like one of the biggest folk groups ever. 
he was that close to making it. And it just never happens, oftentimes because of the decisions that he makes. Um, I don't know. I want to talk very, about the cat. He's so, like a very rush. Oh, I was just going to say, he's like a very, he's in a rush all the time, pretty much. Yes. He like wants really to get that success. He wants it now. Right. Just a little bit of patience and boom, you'll have it. Yeah. Yeah. The, the cat. So there's a cat in this movie and like the way the movie begins or near the beginning is that Lewin accidentally lets the cat out and it doesn't belong to him. It belongs to his rich professor friends. And for a lot of the film, he's either chasing this cat or something <laughs> along those lines. I just, every time I watch the film, I try to think of what is going on with this cat. What are the Coens trying to say? And I always thought it was like a metaphor for his like dreams getting away from him. But I saw a really interesting theory of the day that the cat is a, is symbolic of his partner, Mike. And how Mike is always around and Lewin finally has to let Mike go to move on. I can see it. Right? Like if you watch it, yeah, it, it fits really well. And a lot of this film, I think, in a very unspoken, a very subtle way, is that Lewin is depressed about the loss of his partner, the loss of his musical partner, the loss of the, the things they had together. And that's a big part of the reason why he makes the decisions he does and why, you know, he's, he's hapless for most of the film. I mean, he lashes out at that dinner party, too, to the lady. Oh, my and God. I mean, all she's doing is just helping him finish that song. But he's like, no, I don't. Because yeah. there's too many of those bad memories now. Yeah, because she's singing Mike's part. Yeah, he movie. has. it's like he has no good memories, you know? Yeah. It's like all the memories are blocked at this moment because he can't get over what happened. Yeah. Yep. I think, for me, my favorite part of the whole film... And it has to do with the cat and the dinner party. Um, but Lewin was watching this cat and then loses the cat and then brings the cat back, thinks he's found the cat, right? And brings this cat to the dinner party to the family that he was watching the cat for. And, you know, the whole blow up at the dinner party happens. Lewin's screaming. And then it just like ends with the funniest humor where the lady of the place that he was staying at picks up the cat and goes, Lewin, where's your scrotum? This is not my cat. (laughs) (laughs) And then it's, I mean, and then it just fades to the next scene. But it's so funny. It's stuff like that through the film that just, I, I, life is shitty, but then stuff like that happens, and it's just the funniest thing in the whole world. Yeah. The entire existence of Adam Driver's character is funny to me, because, like, he sings Please, Mr. Kennedy, and he's, like, basically doing sound effects, like, outer space, and that's, like, all he does for the song. And then his line delivery, like, afterwards, Lewin is like, hey, you got a place? He's like, yeah, I live here. Oh, in my place? And Adam Driver's just like, it's a dump. <laughs> his line delivery is just perfect. I think, I don't know, the Coen brothers are really good about working with their actors to get that in a lot of their films. Well, and then the funny part about that too, after Adam Driver's line, is Lewin's just like, well, do you have a couch? 
Yeah. He, he doesn't care if it's a dump. He's just like, do you have a couch? Better than nothing. Adam Driver, what a man. <laughs> also, of course, it, I would be remiss to not mention that the soundtrack to this movie is incredible. Oh, I love all the songs in it. I've listened to that album so many times. Um, I will be now. Yes. But going through the fun facts, this did get two Oscar nominations for cinematography and sound mixing. Did um, Roger Deakins do cinematography? No. And it's funny because I no. always thought Roger Deakins did this, but it was, um, oh gosh. Somebody so great that he need not be named. Yeah, I, I, I can't remember his name. I think he's, like, French. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll find out. We'll find out. Oh, no, I found it. Bruno. Bruno Del Bonel. Yes. Yes. Oh, he did Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. There you go. Yeah. Oh, no wonder this is so dark. Right. <laughs> Which is really funny, because Roger Deakins was nominated that year, but for a different movie. Um... Partially inspired by the autobiography of folk singer Dave Van Ronk, who released an album called Inside Dave Van Ronk. And he was pretty big in the Greenwich Village folk scene, but never really made it huge, I guess, though he is fairly popular. I love hearing you say Greenwich. <laughs> you know what? It's, it's there. It's Greenwich. Yeah. Greenwich. 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 Is it really Greenwich? It's Greenwich Village, yeah. I've never known that. Interesting. Um, <laughs> it did win the Grand Prix at the Cannes Film Festival which is like the runner-up prize um, the folk songs in the film were recorded live and T-Bone Burnett served as the executive music producer it was nominated for the Golden Globes for Best Comedy or Musical and Best Actor in a Comedy Musical for Oscar Isaac and Original Song for Please Mr. Kennedy the only original song in the film um, it was voted the 11th best film since 2000 in a 2016 BBC poll and the 11th best film of the 21st century so far by the New York Times in 2017. Speaking of the cat, the Coens joked that they threw in the cat subplot because they were concerned that the film didn't really have a plot at all beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Coens. Pretty good is a good plot to this. <laughs> I mean, the cat could have its own movie. True. Uh, most songs in the film are covers of folk songs. Please, Mr. Kennedy is mostly original, but it is adapted from Please, Mr. Custer about the Battle of Little Bighorn and a different version of Please, Mr. Kennedy about the Vietnam War. That song's why, sly. Yeah, which is why the Oscars declared it ineligible for the awards. Yeah, right. It was criticized by some folk singers by its unfriendly portrayal of the village folk scene and because Lewin Davis is much different from Dave Van Ronk. And fun fact, this was my first ever purchase from the Criterion Collection, so special place in my heart for that, too. He literally got so sappy about it yesterday morning when we were watching it. He was like, you're going to like this so much. This was the very first Criterion that I ever purchased. <sighs> blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it was really cute. Do you remember <laughs> your first Criterion, Christian? Yes. I bet you do. Yeah. What was See, your first thing? What was your first? Curious case of Benjamin Button. I bought it at Walmart. Mm. All right. Yeah, yep. At, they really, the two disc special edition was a criterion version. 
Interesting. That's I, the one with Brad Pitt, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I I only purchased it because at that time I was like obsessed with two discs. So I was like bonus features. <laughs> That's kind of what they're known for. But yeah, that is Inside Lewin Davis. I'm obviously a huge fan. I think it's great. Check it out. Any final thoughts before we move on to our last movie? If you do nothing else, listen to the music from that yes. movie. Agreed. All right, Christian, would you like to take us away with our last pick? Yes. So um, with the exception of Frozen and The Conjuring, I noticed that all these movies are really low key for 2013. Yeah. yeah. So our next one is another very low key film and it is called Short Term 12. And it was directed by somebody named Destin Daniel Creighton. Creighton? I think it's Cretton. Cretton? Okay. So it's based on his actual short film of the same name. And it stars this very unknown at the time actress. What is her name? It's like a type of cheese. Oh, yes. It's Brie Larson. Oh, my God. <laughs> but uh, she plays a uh, supervisor at a group home. And it's pretty much her, her boyfriend, who's played by John Gallagher Jr. If you've ever seen 10 Cloverfield Lane, you'll know him from that. Um, she just really watches out for these kids, these youths, really gets to them because she at one point was one of them. Um, Lakeith Stanfield is in this. This is like his first role. He was not even acting after this, I guess. Somebody named Rami Malik is in this. Caitlin Dever is in this as one of the kids that really gets to Larson's character. Like she really cares for her. She goes out of her way for her. But no, so yeah, it's such a good film. It's really an examination of these kids. They're all troubled. They all have their issues. And what Brie Larson's character, John Gallagher Jr.'s character do to connect to these kids, to make them sort of live better lives, to get them ready for if they do get out of the system once they turn, what is it, like 18? 18, yeah. yep. Yeah, that they don't fall into trouble, that nothing happens to them, that they live very successful rewarding fulfilling lives um very short film i love short films that examine characters so good and this does it so so fucking well we already got the expletive on everything else so i will say it like that but no and i really wanted to watch this again because the first time i watched it i absolutely loved it um our good friend toby actually has brie larson as like his personal pick for this year yeah can't argue so, it yeah yeah i know she was in she was in a few she was in a few tv shows before this but this really set her on the map to getting room her next film which would then make her you know the star that she is the only thing i knew her from before this was 21 jump street and that was like <laughs> a supporting role so i can even, every time i watch that i always forget she's in it and i can barely recognize her yeah that's true yeah so, but have you, first of all, have you both seen this before? I had not seen it before watching it for the podcast. Same. Okay. That's, yeah. that's what I thought. Because I know Brett has seen like the other ones and I know you're like, haven't seen most except like Frozen and Conjuring. So yeah. this is the first one where nobody but me. <laughs> yes. No, I loved this movie so much. I don't even, I mean, I don't know that I have adequate words to describe how wonderful it is um 
I will say just for those who might go out and seek to watch some of these movies, um, big trigger warning with this movie. It deals a lot with mental health, suicide ideation, suicide, sexual assault, um, abuse, and so on. It is, I mean, it's really deep and there are parts of it that are um, especially, I, I can say this because I'm a sexual assault survivor myself, but if you are a survivor of any type of form, um, it's really, really difficult to watch. But it is also, I mean, I, it, it was amazing. I think it does, personally, from my experiences, I think it does a really great testament to showing how difficult and lifelong um, that trauma is and how much work you have to do to try and heal from that and how difficult it is. Um, So if you're wanting to see a film that I think accurately portrays that, I think it does that. Um, And it might not do that for everyone. It personally did that for me with my experiences. So I, I highly recommend it. I thought it was wonderful. I bawled like a freaking baby. Um, and it was one of the, I think it's one of the best films of 2013. One of the best. Wow. Good job, it. Christian. There you go. You did it. It's better than gravity. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, Christian. <Wow. laughs> like, set him up all high and I know I I know I had to I had to Christian I had to give you shit I'm so sorry (laughs) but it really actually is better than gravity so it's not just me giving you shit (laughs) but no I I will echo that I'm really glad that you picked this Christian because like this has been one of those movies that's been like very high on like want to watch for me for a long time and I've just never done it and so this finally got me to watch it and yeah I I think you know Haley when you were talking about like the those experiences connecting with them I think what the film does so well it it does touch on how all these experiences both with the children and with the folks who work with them are different even though they do have these common threads that connect them in some ways through their experiences and you know seeing Brie Larson's character, we've talked about a lot of complex characters in this podcast already, and here's another one to add to the list, because she is someone who, you know, has a lot of trauma that, you know, she, you know, needs to confront and, you know, work with with someone, but she, you know, kind of avoids that by working with these children and helping them, and so kind of putting her stuff, um, I don't want to say putting it aside, she's definitely working with it, but taking the steps that, you know, she really wants and needs to take towards that, which we start to see towards the end of the film. She really understands her characters. Yes. You know, like she understands their backstories, their emotions, their, I mean, just all their complexities. Cause she does this again, two years later when she does Room too. Right. Like. Yeah, and I mean, I, I wish this had been a film that I had seen at the time because 
when we watch it now, it's kind of like, well, of course, Brie Larson. I mean, you know, she did Room. She's Captain Marvel now. She's made a really great career. But, you know, for someone who would have watched this in 2013, relatively unknown, like you said. And it would have been like a revelation to see like, who is this actress? I think you could say the same thing for Lakeith Stanfield here um, because he's great and he's someone who has gone on to a really good career now. Like a lot of the actors here. Um, like you mentioned, Caitlin Dever. I'm so glad to see that she's finally getting her due because I first saw her in like 2010 when she was in a show called Justified and thought she was great. How now, old is she? Because she doesn't look like she ever ages. Probably 23. 22 23 i don't know she's the one in book smart right yes okay because yeah. aniston never ages <laughs> that's too. true she, she like just looks the same always <laughs> age in book smart as she does in this and that's like a seven year difference yeah yeah i don't know but yeah I mean, i'm glad to see people like her and brie larson and the key stanfield you know getting their due now and of course she got rami malik too um <laughs> I'm still mad. I just want to say, like, I I texted Christian when I was watching this, and, like, I was like, Rami Malek's character is the person that goes on a mission trip to Africa to take pictures with the children there and post them all over Facebook. And, like, that's the type of person he is in this this movie. Um, His first scene with the kids, like, when they're in their group session, it doesn't go well. It's bad. Oh, no. It's It's real bad. Oh, I want to bring up another actress in this. Um, Stephanie Beatrice, who is now in Brooklyn Nine-Nine fame. Oh, who does she play yeah. in this? Um, she is, like, at the very beginning, she's one of the uh, group mentors. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, so she's like, the other, she's, like, the second to Brie Larson, pretty much. Gotcha, okay, okay. yeah. Okay. And it's really weird to hear her voice in this because her real voice is, like, kind of the high-pitched. Whilst then you watch her in Brooklyn Nine-Nine and she goes very, very deep and very, very low. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, love, I love seeing a film like this. It, it's kind of like Fruitvale Station. It is undeniably indie, small budget. Um, heartbreaking. Heartbreaking, like very real and truthful and honest and authentic. Um, so yeah, it, it's funny because I was going in and I was like, you know, 2013 is like one of my favorite movie years that I've seen. And that my top 10 was already so low. And I'm like, okay, it would be something if this film breaks in. And it impressed. It got the job done. So. Hey, you're welcome. Yeah. Thank you. Do you want to run over our fun facts for us here? Yes. Uh, no Oscar nominations because, Yeah. Adapted from Cretton's short film of the same name based on his own experiences at a group facility for teens. And the short film itself won the grand prize at Sundance in 2009. Brie Larson won the role, her first lead performance through a Skype audition. Lakeith Stanfield was the only actor from the short film to return from the, for the feature film. Creighton had, uh, had a hard time finding Stanfield again as he had quit acting and didn't have a cell phone. And as I wrote, now look at him. He's a star, baby. He's awesome. Uh, It won the Grand Jury and the Audience Award for Narrative Features when it premiered at South by Southwest. Won Best Editing at the Independent Spirit Awards. It was also nominated for Lead Actress for Larson and Supporting Male for Lakeith. 
Larson won Best Actress at the Gotham Awards, completely shut out at major awards despite strong critical praise and smaller prizes. Larson's snub was considered particularly shocking. That is short term 12. Any final thoughts on that before we go on to our long list of honorable mentions? It is easily accessible on Amazon Prime. True. Don't forget the trigger warning. Yes. I also want to mention um, the director, um, Dustin Daniel Cretton, directed Just Mercy, which came out last year as well. Oh, did that's he? A, yeah, that's another really good one worth checking out. So. Oh my God, Brie Larson's in that, isn't she? Yes. Yes, exactly. Again, I can't tell she is because of the wig. <laughs> and the accent. I... As Haley points to Brett. Yep. Obsessed. Haley's competition is Brie Larson. And we He's have also to... obsessed with Jennifer Lawrence. These are his late night thoughts. Mm-hmm. Not me. Not so it's fine. Adam Driver. See, there you go. We've all got one. Hugh Jackman. Ew. Ew. I have a lot more than just that, but it's fine. I have a pretty long list. Hugh Jackman of all. Oh my. <laughs> I mean, he kind of looks like Brett now. Look at him. I, Look at his beard. He kind of looks like Wolverine. Yeah. For listeners out there, if you really want an accurate just depiction of what Brett looks like, watch any of 2010's Jake Gyllenhaal movies. And yes, <laughs> oh yes, that is what Zay has compared you to. And whilst we're recording this, I sent a picture off to Zay. Yep, more like Jake. All right, honorable mentions. So. <laughs> Our best documentary winner that year, which I believe was kind of an upset, um, was 20 Feet from Stardom. It's it's good. I haven't I mean, seen it. I watched it this past year. It's fine. It's a very interesting choice for a documentary feature because it is just about background singers. Mm. You would think they want to go with something more like war or because yeah. there was what the act of killing was in there. Depressing. So obviously yeah. no. Yeah. I think everybody thought the act of killing was gonna win. So uh, we got 42, the movie about Jackie Robinson, um, which is, it's okay. It's, it's good. It's got Chadwick Boseman, kind of a breakout role for him. Uh, we got About Time, the, what, the time travel romance, isn't it, with uh, Rachel McAdams? Terrible. Oh, okay. So I only put it there because I thought Haley would talk about it. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I was just being a shithead. It's oh. not actually terrible. <laughs> I only uh, once and I don't remember it, so. Yeah. There is, here is the documentary that I thought was going to win, which is The Act of Killing, which. did we watch that in class? Yeah, we did. I'm not going to lie. I think it's a bit overrated, but that's just me. Uh, the sequel is better. There you go. Look of Silence, is that? Yeah, yeah, The Look yeah. of Silence. That's it. Um, Ain't Them Body Saints, which is directed by, what's his name? I don't know, the guy who did The Old Man and the Gun. Um, It's actually really good. Yeah, that guy. All is Lost, Robert Redford. Oh, my God. It's so boring. So boring. (laughs) So boring. There was so much awful for it. Did you just say you loved it? Yes, I'm just being controversial because I haven't watched, like, any of these movies at all so i'm more of a more of a housewives watcher 
than a movie watcher. <laughs> All right. Uh, next, we got August Osage County, for which Meryl Streep and Julia Roberts both got nominations. I'm not going to lie. I don't like that movie at all. So I'm I, I don't either. I mean, you, okay. broke, your, you broke your father's heart. <laughs> it's a bad, it's a, it should be a great movie. It has a great ensemble, but it is yes. boring. It's, and you know who wrote it? Movie. Tracy Letts, like Lady Bird's father. Yep. He's getting his whole second career in acting now. He wrote it. It's it's not it. Not good. Uh, Behind the Candelabra, which was HBO, wasn't it? Yeah, Liberace. Yeah. But it was like, it, it won Emmys. But in yep. England, it was put in theaters. And it was nominated for BAFTAs. Hmm. There you go. Uh, we have Before Midnight, which is the latest film in Richard Linklater's Before Trilogy. It is amazing. That whole trilogy is amazing. Um, I love them all. You've got Blackfish, which was also nominated for Best Documentary, right? I don't think it was. Was it not? Okay. It was just super popular and Squirrel pretty much suffered after that. (laughs) You really not seen half of these movies so far? Um, yeah. Wow. I watched to be what fair, I was supposed this to be year, This year, you were a senior in high school in a town of... 350 people. Yeah, not many movie theaters there. No, and they only show the box office stuff. So, like, Despicable Me Too and Frozen. <laughs> um, next, we have The Bling Ring with Emma Watson. Yes, it's... It's, I don't remember it much. I just remembered I liked it. Yeah. We've got Blue is the Warmest Color, which is really controversial because it received an NC-17 rating uh, because of its lesbian sex scenes. Very explicit. I loved it. I saw it the other day. I thought it was great. It's a great movie. <laughs> uh, we had Blue Jasmine, um, which was made by Woody Allen. Um and one Kate Blanchett, her second Oscar. I think she does well in it. She is very good in it. It's very complex. Yes. It's a very streetcar named Desire. That's, that's it. <laughs> Next, we've got an action, very little, not well-known action film called Blue Ruin, which was eligible for 2014 awards, but was kind of released in 2013. It was good. Buzz from Home Alone is in it. Oh my God! Yeah, he is. Oh. Yeah, he had a good oh year because he was also in Nebraska. Yeah, you know who else is in it? I just realized the other day. Um, Jan, the the girl, the woman who plays Jan Brady in the Brady Bunch, she's like one of the like toothless ladies at the end, <laughs> which is really funny. Um, the Book Thief. I have seen this, but I don't remember it, so it, it, it was ain't. not memorable. <laughs> Book the book Zay uh, is the one who told me to read the book. I love the book. Watch the movie. It ain't the same. Ah. We also had Lee Daniels the Butler that year, the which movie, was like the movie that was supposed to win Oprah and Oscar. It it had like a ton of Oscar buzz. I remember everybody talking about it, and it was, I remember my family was like, "Christian, how is it? We need to see it." I'm like, "It's fine." Yeah. <laughs> Um, the remake of Carrie. Uh, Is this, this a one, horror film? Yes. Okay. Chloe Grace Moretz. It's good. Okay. See, I've it's seen good. some of them. I just don't remember 
the you names. probably watched the original Carrie with me from the 70s. Probably. Yeah. Uh, the Croods was an animated movie from that year. I think that was like, wasn't Nick Cage in that? Yeah. And yeah. the sequel supposedly comes out this year. Oh, we'll see though. It's decent. It's fine. Speaking of sequels, we had um, Despicable Me 2 come it's out that so year. It's so cute. It's an awful movie. I've never seen it. All I know is that that, that movie had the Pharrell happy song in it and that fucking song that was my let i got so tired of that song i can't stand it i got tired of that oh, song i love that movie <laughs> i can't it speak has such movie. a stereotypical mexican character in it and made me cringe i hate mm. it next we have enough said which was a really nice little romance with julia louis dreyfus and one of james gandolfini's last roles and he is just a giant teddy bear in that movie it's so cute. I love that rom-com. I get so pissed off because he's like, I, I pushed the onions to the side of the guacamole. Guess what? You don't have to put onions in there all the time. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. We got um, Escape from Tomorrow, which is like the Disneyland, Disney World horror movie that I wanted to watch but didn't get to it. It's, it's weird. <laughs> don't ever watch it with me because you'll be there the whole hour and a half going, that's land, that's land, that's world. That was shot in world, shot in land, shot in world. Wasn't it like illegally shot there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's also me going, damn, how'd they afford these tickets? <laughs> <laughs> we also got Francis Hobb, which we did talk about on our 2012 episode, but it was eligible for 2013 awards. Really good. Um, Get a Horse, the Mickey Mouse short film that played before Frozen. It's so good. So good. I love it. The best, at the time, it was best foreign language film was the category. The winner that year was The Great Beauty. I have not seen. Nah. Um, this next pick is going to be controversial, I think, between our opinions. But um, the adaptation, Boz Lerman's adaptation of The Great Gatsby. Biggest meh in the world. I loved it. There we go. <laughs> ah, I think the original's better, but... The Robert Redford version? Yeah. See, I've never seen that. This one's good. I love the book, but the, I did not like this movie. I thought they tried to modernize it too much, and Christian is, like, hyperventilating right now. <laughs> you know what? I'm a sucker for a romance, even if it's not well done. So I, I texted Brett through this going, you know, we're only like an hour into this and there's another hour and 40 minutes to go. <laughs> uh, the Heat with Sandra Bullock and incredible, Melissa McCarthy. Incredible. Yes, I love this. Should have won multiple Oscars. Haley agrees with me. The one who hates it the most is Brett. <laughs> you know Wait, what? do you hate it? No, nah, it, it's, it's a good movie. It's a good movie. I liked it more watching it this time. <laughs> What is wrong with you? I know. I'm sorry. God. Uh, we had the second Hobbit film, The Desolation of Smaug. I have not seen any of those. So it is the, It's the best of the three, and that's not saying a whole lot. There you go. You ripped my ass about Star Wars, but you haven't seen The Hobbit? It's Star Wars! It's The Hobbit. You don't need to see The Hobbit. God! <laughs> he ain't missing much. <laughs> 
Uh, we had the second Hunger Games film, Catching Fire, came out this year. Yes. Oh, I like. I think it might be the best one. Um, so, The Hunt, another foreign language film nominee, which is really freaking good. Mads Mikkelsen in the lead role is amazing. I, I, you know what? My mom watched it with me. Ooh. She was down here cooking, and I said, you have no choice. Yeah, you talk about bleak. That movie is bleak. I had, to, I had to catch her up on like the first half of it because I'm like, you got to read this. So let me tell you what happened. There you go. Uh, we had I Am Divine, which is the Divine documentary, correct? Yes, it's very good too. Nice. Um, Iron Man 3, continuing, continuing the MCU trend that year. Yes. Good. It's, a, it's, good. it's good. It's not as good as the first. No. But it's good. Um, the Kings of Summer, an indie film that year, which I've heard is very good. Wait, you didn't see it? Oh my I didn't. God. I didn't get. To, I completely forgot to watch that on one. Amazon. Oh. It's I love me a coming of age story. There you go. The Lone Ranger came out this year, featuring oh, Johnny Depp as a native character. What? Yeah, you didn't know Not that. Good. No. Not good. Yeah. Again, 350 people, small town, 2013. That's where I was. This was a box office bomb. So, screw oh, you, Johnny Depp. I went to see it too. I did too. Oof. Um, <laughs> we had Man of Steel, or as I like to call it, the ill fated revitalization of the DC universe. <laughs> this, this tells you a lot that I don't know anything about DC because I really liked it. I think really? DC yeah. has better TV shows and Marvel has better movies. And I would know this because, again, I am a TV show human. You, you can go. ask Brett. It's also, bad. the part that he's like, I'm from Kansas, my audience cheered. <laughs> we had Monsters University, the Pixar output from that year, which I think is underrated. I really like it. It's cute. I my first and last midnight premiere. Ooh, really? Yes. It was fun because there was a bunch of... Um, little monsters? No, like college kids who were little monsters when the first one came <laughs> yep. out. Yep. So it was like full circle. Very nice. Um, movie called Mud came out this year, which I think is actually the best Matthew McConaughey performance from this year in that movie. Better than Dallas Buyers Club. Well, it's not hard to beat Dallas Buyers Club. Actually, Wolf of Wall Street is probably the best, even though he's in it for like five minutes. Oh, it's but, so funny. Um, uh, next, no. we have Christian's favorite movie ever. <laughs> Just kidding. Oz, oh, so he hates no, it. No, he hates this movie. Oz, oh. the great and powerful. It's like his least favorite movie ever. I thought I was going to agree with you about something. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's cute. It's not my favorite movie ever, but it's cute. I like it. Look, I, I'm a fan for Mila Kunis any day. So true. This is a uh, stunning, a bad, bad movie. Um, <laughs> I hate it. It takes away the spirit of The Wizard of Oz, butchers it into some of the worst acting I've ever seen from accomplished actresses. Because James Franco's not a good actor as it is. Um, <laughs> No, I remember getting out of it, immediately calling Maddie and telling her how much I hate it. It is now a running joke with me how much I hate it with Zay. Um, I wish this movie never exists. I have seen it like twice for some reason. And yeah, 
it is the worst film I have ever seen in my entire life. That was harsh. You know what I hate most about it is that Michelle Williams is in it, and I think she's like one of the best actresses out there right now. And even she's, she's she, yeah, she's not good in it either. Mila Kunis is to me what Brie Larson is to Brett. So mm. that's that's okay. what I like that movie. Where's she been? Who? Mila Kunis. Care of her children. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. They're so cute. Oh I my guess god. I'm obsessed. Than that. Yeah. As now somebody who has seen the first 200 episodes of Family Guy as of last night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this year we also had Guillermo del Toro's Pacific Rim. Kind of I, like- remember, I remember hearing things like, if you don't go see this movie, you're destroying cinema and originality. <laughs> Nobody saw it. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen it. I don't know. I don't even remember it. It looked like Transformers <laughs> to me. So I was like, eh. Um, a great movie that came out that year is um, one of D- Dennis. Is it Villeneuve? Ben- Villeneuve? I think it's Villeneuve. Villeneuve. Um, one of his breakout films, Prisoners, with Hugh Jackman and um, Jake Gyllenhaal. Great movie. Amazing. So good. I was shook. I was so shook. Like every minute of that film. Yeah. I, we, I, there was almost a brief moment where I was like, we need to talk about this. I know. It's so good. Have you seen it? I didn't watch it with you this time. That's okay. No. That's okay. Show we her. Get to it. I have the Blu-ray, so. So good. You're going to be shook. I'm sorry, cinema, universe, world, I, people. There's... I don't know what to call you all. But... Man, woman, TV, vote. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, we also had Saving Mr. Banks, for which Emma Thompson was snubbed in the Best Actress category. Or It's a cute movie. I like it. It's good. We have um, The Spectacular Now. I really, love it. Really sweet teen romance with miles teller and shailene woodley she's great in it r.i.p miles teller he's not good (laughs) his career kind of is um next one is spring (laughs) next one is spring breakers which i watched last night and did not like um it's 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 freaking weird how many movies do you watch after i go to bed quite a few (laughs) quite a few He's up at like 12.30 texting me whilst I'm asleep. I know it's like an hour difference, but I'm already asleep. I wake up and I'm like, the hell are you telling me about? <laughs> I go to bed at like 10.30 and Brett, Brett no, does not. I so don't. he gets a lot of stuff done at night when I'm asleep. Yes. Next we have Stoker. Um, I would love... One- I would love to see this one again after watching Shadow of a Doubt. Oh. That's what inspired it, yeah. Interesting. I didn't know that. Um, Stranger by the Lake, which Christian asked me to watch, and very explicit. <laughs> Let's just say this movie comes and it goes. Wow. <laughs> Literally. You see it all. <laughs> Look, it's a... It's very straightforward. You see man-on-man action. And Zay yep. wanted you to watch it as well. And when I told them that you preferred blue as the warmest color, the only response I got back was, 
homophobia. <laughs> wow. You know, it, it, it's good. It's not, like it's, it's not like it's a really good movie. Like, it's interesting. When it's I watched it, I had to watch it on low volume. So. <laughs> um, what I consider, honestly, a, a movie that just continues to make me laugh a lot is This is the End. Oh, it's so funny. Basically, so funny. actors playing themselves. Bang, bang, you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite thing of that movie is when they're like, they're talking about the Holy Trinity and like <laughs> Seth Rogen's like, Jesus isn't the name of God. God is the name of God. And then they're like, no, it's Jesus. No, God used the Holy Spirit. They go together. And James Frank was like, yeah, it's like Neapolitan ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> that movie's a so funny movie. Though, honestly. And that, because we don't go over this, but that wins my personal ensemble of the year. Ooh, oh, yeah. That's a good point. I might consider that. Um, they had, we had The World's End, which concluded Edgar Wright's Cornetto trilogy with Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. It's interesting, to say the least. I liked it. It's good. It's not as good as Hot Fuzz. but Now, now at the time of recording this, dear listeners, some of us have not seen Shaun of the Dead for whatever reason. That would be me. Well, and, and Haley. Yep. <laughs> Uh, we also had Turbo, the animated film with Ryan Reynolds. Oh, I haven't seen man. it. Oh, man. I thought about that movie. I, I fucking loved this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I should not have, but there was something about it. I don't know if it was Samuel L. Jackson as a snail going, yeah, I'm crazy. Second best film of the year next to Frozen for me. All right. I'm easy to please with these animated movies, and it was this one that did it for me. There you go. That works. Uh, we had The Way, Way Back, which is just one in a collection of a lot of movies that have Way Back in the title. Yeah, it's a good movie. Um, Tony Collette and Allison Janney and Steve Carell. Good yeah. cast. A coming of age movie, and Sam Rockwell is not a racist. Surprising. Um, We're the Millers came out that year, which I think now is most famous for the No Regrets meme. Um, oh my God. My parents, by the way, my parents love, my dad especially loves We're the Millers. My mom <laughs> loves it too. She, like, when she likes movies, she watches them on repeat continuously. Mm. And that one played for a very long time in our home. Interesting. No Regrets. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we got The Wind Rises, which we mentioned earlier. Um, this year's animated film from Miyazaki. Um, so it was nominated for Best Animated Film at the Oscars. Pretty highly acclaimed. We also had World War Z, which I still maintain is a really good movie. Really good zombie movie. I liked it when I saw it. Action-packed. I thought it was trash, but... <laughs> Really? Like, like, legit, I thought oh, it was trash. That's the one you I, like? I did oh, not like it. Great and powerful, so. There we, mm. You know, it's fine. Christian, you're going to kill me because I don't know what this next one is. But fill us it's, in. It's the WNUF Halloween special. Anyway, this movie is kind of hard to find. However, you can find it on Amazon. I'm pretty sure by now it's on Amazon to watch. But it is a sort of found footage 
if you're watching a news broadcast from the 90s. They go to explore a haunted house for Halloween and shit happens. It's interrupted by like a lot of commercials. It's very good. I'm pretty sure the director follows me on Twitter. <laughs> How about yeah. that? Yeah, I think his name is Jimmy George, so hey. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's like it's it's a really good film. I, I don't know how the heck I watched it, but yeah, I'll let I'll let you you two know if it's out there on Amazon come October because it normally is. Good to know. We'll have to watch that one. Yeah, I want to introduce the last one because it is my okay. personal favorite that I did not get to rank because apparently. It was up for the 2014 awards season, which I don't understand. Brett can explain that after I'm done raving. But it's Snowpiercer, and I love that film. And if you're not familiar with it, the same human that directed Parasite, correct? Yep. Bong Joon-ho. Yes, did Snowpiercer, and it is phenomenal. It's another phenomenal film by him. It is really great. I it love it. It would be my number one if I could rank it for 2013, but I was not allowed to. <laughs> if somebody just didn't want to keep it for whatever stupid reasons he had. Yeah. A very, very bitter man. Yeah. He who will not be named had it delayed to 2014. So not that it was nominated for any Oscars anyway, but... That person being the ex-co-founder of Miramax Films. Yeah, no, Tilda Swinton is also great in that movie. Like, wow. But yeah, that is our list of 53 films, honorable mentions from this year. You know, this is one of those years where we were into it. You know, we were watching a lot of these, so we had a lot of them. All right, now it is time to go over our personal rankings and winners. It's our favorite part. <laughs> Hopefully no friendships are ended today. With our- right. <laughs> I think there might be. Oh boy. Well, Haley, I'm gonna have you lead us off. If you wanna go from five to one, your nominees and your winner for best original screenplay. Best original screenplay. Okay, so number five. Gravity. Number four, Enough Said. Number three, Her. Number two, which don't kill me, people, um, The Conjuring. And number one, Inside Lewin Davis. Christian didn't seem to cringe too much. (laughs) We'll we'll see what he thinks here. All right, um, I'll go next. My rankings, number five, I have The Hunt. Number four, I have Fruitvale Station. Number three, I have Nebraska. Number two, I have Her. And number one, I went back and forth between my top two a lot, but the one that still just gets to me is Inside Lewin Davis as well. All right, my number five is Enough Said. My number four is Nebraska. Number three is Inside Lewin Davis. Number two, you can hit me, I don't care, Blue Jasmine. And my number one is her. (laughs) (laughs) Love the Arrested Development reference there. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, my number one is 
<laughs> Moving on to best adapted screenplay. Haley, take us away. Okay, number five. This is the end. <laughs> number four. <laughs> What's it based on? A short story. That's is it really? Yeah. This is what Brett told me. He told me I had to. Yeah, I double checked it on IMDb this time. He so. helped me because I don't know what I'm doing, y'all. <laughs> um, so five, this is the end. Number four, Philomena. Number three, Short Term 12. Number two, of course, The Wolf of Wall Street. And number one, 12 Years a Slave. Christian didn't kill Christian me. Is sitting like the Godfather right now. Just it's waiting. very terrifying. All right, um, my best after screenplay number five. I have blue is the warmest color. No. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Based on the graphic novel. Uh, number four. I have short term twelve. Number three. I have the Wolf of Wall Street. Number two. I have Twelve Years a Slave. And number one, little curveball here is Before Midnight. What? Give an Oscar to Richard Linklater, Ethan Hawke, and Julie Delpy. They all wrote it together. It's great. Hmm. Uh, my adapted screenplay winners are number five, Captain Phillips. Number four, The Wolf of Wall Street. Number three, 12 Years a Slave. Number two, excuse me. Number two, The Hunger Games, Catching Fire. Ooh, nice. Yeah. I dig it. What? What? I don't know if I dig it, but continue. <laughs> and my winner is Short Term 12. Yes. All right. Best supporting actor. Yep. We had three different winners there, but yes. yeah, moving on to best supporting actor. Okay. Number five, George Clooney in Gravity. Number four, Lakeith Stanfield in Short Term 12. Number three, Jonah Hill, The Wolf of Wall Street. Number two, Michael Fassbender in 12 Years a Slave, and one of my personal favorite performances of the year, number one, Barkad Abdi in Captain Phillips. All right, my number five, I have Lakeith Stanfield for Short Term 12. My number four, I have Jonah Hill for The Wolf of Wall Street. My number three, I have Michael Fassbender for 12 Years a Slave. Number two, I have John Goodman for Inside Lewin Davis. And number one, I agree, Barkat Abdi for Captain Phillips. All right. My number five, I have Moises Arias for The Kings of Summer. Love that kid. Yeah. Uh, he's, his line delivery and everything he does in that film is wild. <laughs> number four, I actually have, even though I did not like the film, Bradley Cooper for American Hustle. My number six. Number three, I have Michael Fassbender for 12 Years a Slave. Number two, you ready? You yeah. sitting down? Barkhead Opti for Captain Phillips. Okay. What's your number one? And coming in from last week, I have Jake Gyllenhaal for Prisoners. Yep, yep. I, he's another one that was like almost made my list. Right his there. Performance, his performance in that rocked me. Yep. I can't be upset about that at all. All of the acting categories are tough this year, including oh, that oh, one. Oh. So, all right. Next, we've got Best Supporting Actress. Haley, take us away. 
All right, number five with Katherine Keener in Enough Said. Number mm. four with Jennifer Lawrence in American Hustle. Freaking hilarious. Number three with June Squibb in Nebraska. Also a hilarious performance. Number two with Lily Taylor in The Conjuring. And then my number one, da, 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 Lupita Nyong'o in 12 Years a Slave. And if I, did I butcher nope, the last nope, name? Nope, okay. You got it. Beautiful. All right. My number five is Margot Robbie in The Wolf of Wall Street. My number four is Scarlett Johansson for her voice performance in Her. Number three is Jennifer Lawrence in American Hustle. Number two, June Squibb in Nebraska. And number one, I concur, Lupita Nyong'o for 12 Years a Slave. Huh. Um, this is, this is going to be weird. Uh, I had the same exact ranking as Brett. <laughs> what? That has never happened. I don't think that's ever happened before. It hasn't. Uh, so yeah, five, Margot Robbie. Four, Scarlett Johansson. Three, Jennifer Lawrence. Two, June Squibb. And my winner's Lupita. There weird. we go. That was weird. <laughs> that, I love it. And I think that's the only one we've all agreed on so far. So Lupita Nyong'o takes it. Wow. All right, moving on to Best Leading Actor. Haley, take us away. All right. Number five, we have Chiwetel Ejiofor in 12 Years a Slave. Number four, Tom Hanks in Captain Phillips. Number three, Leonardo DiCaprio in The Wolf of Wall Street. Number, what? He's just surprised. I, I told him I thought it would be Leo. Nope. Um, number two, Oscar Isaac in Inside Lewin Davis. And honestly, my favorite performance that just freaking wrecked me from the year, number one, Michael B. Jordan in Fruitvale Station. All right. I just want to say this is perhaps the most difficult category I've ever had to do because there were so many great leading actor performances this year. So I I'm going to go a little bit off, off the wall here and recognize five actors who I think would make a great category on their own, but didn't make my list. In no particular order, I've got Maz Mikkelsen for The Hunts, Joaquin Phoenix for Her, Bruce Dern for Nebraska, Hugh Jackman for Prisoners, and Ethan Hawke for Before Midnight. A lot of great performances this year. So, all right, my actual rankings. Number five, I have Oscar Isaac for Inside Lewin Davis. Number four, I have Chiwetel Ejiofor for 12 Years a Slave. Number three, I have Tom Hanks for Captain Phillips, though he did have the best 10 minutes of acting this year. Number two, I've got Michael B. Jordan for Fruitvale Station. And number one, Leonardo DiCaprio, The Wolf of Wall Street, should have been at least his first Oscar. Only an Oscar? Wow. What? <laughs> Do you not like Leo? Oh, we've had a discussion about this. Mm. <laughs> you like Adam Driver, but you don't like Leo. Later period Leonardo DiCaprio is the same role over and over again. Disagree. The range is limited. All right, all right. Um, so, yeah, the 2013 men decided they could act for once. Yeah. So, 
I'm going to give you, I have 10 actually. There so, you go. And these are in order from 10 to one. So 10, so at 10, I got Hugh Jackman for Prisoners. Number nine, Bruce Stern for Nebraska. Number eight, Michael B. Jordan for Fruitvale Station. Number seven, Mads Mikkelsen for The Hunt. Uh, somebody who I think Brett skipped the movie or I did not write it down, but his name is Johan Heldenberg for a film called The Broken Circle Breakdown. Oh yeah, you did tell me you like that. Yeah, that's a good movie. It's about a couple of folk singers in Denmark who have their own marriage issues after their kid gets sick. It's very heartbreaking. And so my real top five here is Tom Hanks for Captain Phillips, Oscar Isaac for Inside Lewin Davis, Chiwetel Ejiofor for 12 Years a Slave, Leonardo DiCaprio for The Wolf of Wall Street, and the person that you both said, fuck his drag, Joaquin Phoenix for her. You know, all that being said, our, our top fives were all a lot closer than I expected them to be as far as who was included. I will say that Tom Hanks barely edges out that Johan Heidelberg for the Rogan Circle Breakdown. Interesting. Yeah. Check it out. All right. Moving on to Best Leading Actress, another very competitive category. Haley, take us away. All right. Number five, Julia Lewis DeFris in Dreyfus. Dreyfus? <laughs> I obviously. <laughs> I've been there too. I obviously oh. do not do well with names. Um, I apologize to all of the actors that I have butchered the names of in this podcast. Um, in enough said, I'm not even going to try to repeat the name. Um, Vera Farmiga in The Conjuring. Judy Dench in Philomena. Sandra Bullock in Gravity. And then... Last but not least, God forbid, Brett's never going to let me live this down, Brie Larson in Short Term 12. <laughs> All right. I'm actually making a little last minute adjustment to mine here. Oh, stop it. But <clears throat> my number five is Sandra Bullock for Gravity. Sorry, Christian. Of my number four is Kate Blanchett for Blue Jasmine. My number three is Brie Larson for Short Term 12. Whoa. And my top two, I'm going a little out there here. Number two is Adele. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. It's like Exarchopolis for Blue is the Warmest Color. Applause. And my number one is Julie Delpy for Before Midnight. A plot twist. You know it. Uh, my number six because I didn't have 10 this time, but barely getting in there is Judy Dench for Philomena. So my real top five is going to be Emma Thompson for Saving Mr. Banks, Kate Blanchett for Blue Jasmine. Here we go with another curveball. Verily Batons for The Broken Circle Breakdown. All right. Yes. Um, number two, Brie Larson for Short Term 12 and Sandra Bullock, my winner for Gravity, the best film of the year. She was on your uh, your top performances of the decade list, so I figured she would make her way there. All right, let's move on to Best Director. Haley, take us away there. Steve McQueen, 12 Years a Slave. 
Martin Scorsese, The Wolf of Wall Street, number three, Joel and Ethan Cohen, Inside Lewin Davis, number two, Ryan Coogler for Fruitvale Station, and number one, it's not my favorite movie of the year, but I believe it is the best directed movie of the year, Alfonso Cuaron for Gravity. All right. At number five, I have Joel and Ethan Cohen for Inside Lewin Davis. Number four, I have Spike Jones for Her. Number three, I have Steve McQueen for 12 Years a Slave. Number two, I have Alfonso Cuaron for Gravity. <laughs> and number one, I have Martin Scorsese for The Wolf of Wall Street. Anybody could have directed that movie. What? Not Ever. like that. Not at 71 years old the way he did it. Clint Eastwood is shaking right now? Yeah, Clint Eastwood couldn't do that. He probably couldn't. But. <laughs> uh, my number five is Joel and Ethan Cohen for Inside Lewin Davis. Number four, Spike Jones for Her. Number three, Paul Greengrass for Captain Phillips. Thank you. Number two, Steve McQueen for 12 Years a Slave. And number one, Mi Amigo, Afonso Cuarón for Gravity. All right. Moving on to our final and biggest category. Heck oh, yeah. Oh, my! I feel a nosebleed coming on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our top 10 films of the year for best picture. Haley, take us away. Number 10. This is the end, probably of my life if Christian doesn't like my rankings. <sighs> Number nine, 12 Years a Slave. Number eight, Enough Said. Number seven, Frozen. Number six, Short Term 12. Okay, hold on, hold on, Christian, prepare. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm okay. I don't even know if you like this or not, but I know you're gonna be shook. Do I have to preface it or nope, should I nope, just, just say, say it, it just and say then it. preface it? Just say it. Okay, number five, Fast and Furious 6, which I have to say <laughs> is, <laughs> I'm really sorry to anybody who is listening, but the Fast notice and Furious- I, Notice I didn't even put it in the honorables. <laughs> no, you did not. I forgot not. that too. Yeah, you I'm both sorry. suck. I actually like that. I think that's like the second best one, so- yeah, no, it's wonderful. I love it. I love the entire franchise. I'm obsessed. I own every single one. You can ask Brett. Yep. Um, we watched Fast and Furious for our very first date, um, and I made ramen bowls, so that was fun. <laughs> um, all right, anyway, continuing. Number four, Fruitvale Station. Number mm -hmm. three, The Conjuring. Number two, The Wolf of Wall Street. And number one, Gravity. Just kidding. <gasps> oh. <laughs> number one is Inside Lewin Davis. Sorry, awful. Christian. Brutal. <laughs> That's literally, you literally Warren baited me right now with La La Land Moonlight. <laughs> I feel like your face that you made right there when I said Gravity was the same face that you would make for it it i feel like it's the fa same face you made when parasite won an oscar pretty much pretty much yeah, yeah. i think the yeah, first sorry the christian didn't even make my top 10. oh my god 
Okay. I'm not sure if mine will be as controversial, but here we go. Number 10, I have short-term 12. Number nine, I have 12 years a slave. Number eight, I have The Conjuring. Number seven, I have Her. Number six, Prisoners. Number five, Fruitvale Station. Number four, Before Midnight. Number three, Nebraska. Number two, The Wolf of Wall Street. And of course, number one, Oz the Great and Powerful. Just kidding. Inside. <laughs> He's not a surprise. <laughs> Inside, Lewin Davis is, of course, my number one. All right. I told you, Brett, that you'd be shook with this. I was wondering when that was coming up. I thought it was going to be with supporting actor, but here we go. I'm, so I'm going to preface, preface this. The Wolf of Wall Street didn't make the top 10. All right. So a lot of these, well, some of these are ones that I have grown with in the past seven years. So. But there's one more that's shookening that's not on here. Ooh. My number 10 is Inside Lewin Davis. Number nine, The Kings of Summer. Number eight, Frozen. Number seven, Prisoners. Number six, Short Term 12. Number five, The Conjuring. Number four, Fruitvale Station. Number three, The Hunger Games, Catching Fire. Ooh. What? What? What's wow. missing so far? What's missing so far? Gravity. Number two, her. And the winner, of course, is gravity. What misses out on that? There's no 12 years a slave. True. Yeah, it no barely gets slave. in there. Mm. Yeah, well, you know, I think, you know, Haley and I both had it as number nine. So, yeah, it's a really great film, but it's not good one. Film, but there's so many in there. Yes. That's so hard to pick from. Yeah. It's also like there a lot of these films are ones that like I enjoy watching multiple times and like 12 Years a Slave. Mm -hmm. Like can't watch it. And I do like my, I do my whole personal, what, 24 awards. It gets nine, but it doesn't get a picture. Yeah. Very nice. Wow. Catching Fire. Did I not expect that. I love that one. It is a it is a really good movie. Good. Yeah. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Those are our rankings. A little bit all over the place. Sometimes not so much, but overall, really great year. I mean, I had so much trouble putting these awards together that that was just a sign of how great it was that some had to get left out. But. Yeah, thanks for listening as always. Um, as always, rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. We're available pretty much any place you can find your podcasts. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, as well as our website, gildedfilms.com. Thanks as always to Joshua Arnaldi for doing our theme music. And Haley, thank you for joining us once again. Any final thoughts from you? Um, don't watch The Conjuring during the day. Watch it at night by yourself. Oh. It's terrifying. Taking a different tone there. All right. I am. Okay. <laughs> I just want people to suffer as much as I did when I watched it. All right. Christian, final thoughts from you. Uh, a good year. I do want to say, though, Haley, do you have anything to promote for us? Oh, yes. Of there course. You, go. <laughs> I, <laughs> you both are just shaking your head like, 
Come on. Thanks for bringing you that up. You can do it. Yeah, we always, um, we, always, we always promote our guests something. Somebody's doing something. Yes. Um, well, for those listening, as you can tell, I'm not much of a movie buff, but I am an artist and I do a lot of really fun acrylic pieces, watercolor pieces, and whatnot. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Hughes by Hanneman. Hanneman is spelled H-A-N-N-A-M-A-N. People always spell it wrong. Um, And if you find those links, I also have an Etsy shop. So check me out, buy some of my prints, and let me know if you want me to paint anything for you. Yeah, we love all forms of art, support all forms of art, um, movies and otherwise. So definitely check it out. Um, she does really, really great work. So oh, sure check it out. Yep. All right, Christian, now any final thoughts from you? Um, our next episode, Brett's making us do it super fast. <laughs> and it's all going to be done silent. So I hope you all have title cards ready. There we go. We're just going to leave it at that. But be looking out for that. It's going to be fun. And we will talk to you then. See you. Bye.